Uh, we're in the middle of this Into the Flannel Graph series. Uh, we're in the third week. Of, I believe there's, how many is there, Stephanie? Do you remember nine or 10 or 11 or 12 or 100 uh, ser- episodes in this series? And, and uh, so we're in, we're in uh, the, the third week of this, and we've been dealing with this idea that who we are determines what we do. And, and so teachers teach, and preachers preach, and plumbers plumb, and, and whatever we do kind of determines, or who we are determines what we do. And, and then we've been tracing through God's story because God's story helps us find our identity as the people of God, that, that we have an identity. You have an identity. I have an identity. God has a purpose in our life. And as we understand this story of God, as we understand our story and we understand God's story, as we, as we go through this book and we go through this story, it helps us understand who we are and what God intends us to be. And so we began with creation, and, and God had created it all, and it was perfect and good, and, and, and mankind, humankind, messed it up. And we saw that last week. And the, the, the question is, where do we go from there? From, from this point of perfect creation to chaos, where do we begin this process of recreation? How does God begin this process of restoration? Uh, restoration begins with God's call and promise. And so we see that really in the beginning. When in the garden, immediately after the fall, we find God coming, calling, and beginning this process of recreation, this process of restoration. When we see it after the flood, and after the flood, God once again calls and begins this process of recreation and restoration. And today we're going to begin looking at Abram or Abraham. And we're reading out of Genesis, and once again, I, I don't have the, 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 the chapters and verses on the page. I'm just inviting you kind of to listen to the story as, as for centuries the story was told and people heard. One day, Terah took his son Abram, his daughter-in-law Sarai, his son Abram's wife, and his grandson Lot, his son Aaron's child, and moved away from Ur of the Chaldeans, he was headed for the land of Canaan, but stopped. they stopped at Haran and settled there. Terah lived for 205 years and died while still in Haran. Now, now this, is, this is one of those things, this passage is, that, that maybe to, to many does not mean a whole lot. But as I read this passage, there's a significance to it. There's a significance of Terah beginning this process of leading Abram and Sarai to to the promised land. As a matter of fact, in in Acts chapter 7, when Stephen, the the first martyr, is is giving his sermon, he, he says that God called Abram when he was still in Mesopotamia. Before he had left Ur of the Chaldeans, God had begun this call on Abram. And yet we find in this passage not just Abram going, but Terah going with him. And I think the point is this, it's never just about us. It's never just about this generation. It's never just about me. It's never just about you. It's about the generations that follow. 
and we worship in this church and we enjoy the blessings of this church because those who've went before us have been faithful to us. And now we have this similar obligation as the people of God and as the story continues. What are we doing to support the call of those who come behind us? Are we moving them forward? Are we setting them up so that they can continue? And if Jesus tarries, the next generation can continue. See, my desire for this church is not that we have just success now. My, my desire for this church, and, and when I use church, I, I, I think the people of God, the, the people of God situated here, I, I, my desire for this church is that we be viable and moving if Jesus does not return 50 years from now because of what you have done today. See, it makes a difference. Are we moving the next generation towards God's promises? The Lord had said, moving on to Abram, leave your native country, your relatives and your father's family, and go to the land that I will show you, and I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous, and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families on earth will be blessed through you. For, for, from the beginning, we have been, as the people of God, we have been people who are willing to go. That, that, that God is a sending God and, and God continues to be a sending God. That the, the Great Commission is not sit. But the Great Commission is what? Go. Go and make disciples. Who we are determines what we do. We, we, we serve this missionary God who calls us to be missionary people willing to go where God sends. And so I'm excited about things that's going on in our church because I believe it represents our God. When, when, when Emily does a meal on a Tuesday night, and she invites you to gather with her. She's not just doing that because it's something cool and new to do. She's doing that because she serves a missionary God who is constantly going and constantly sending. And when we join Emily in preparing a meal for a single mother, guess what? We're not just joining our church family. We're joining a God who's always going and always sending. You know, I'm still exploring this work stuff. And, and, and this isn't my no, in my notes. So, so I'm always hesitant when I do this stuff. Lowe's wasn't a good place for me for a lot of reasons. And so I'm at FedEx now. And I'm doing FedEx things. And I'm working with people. And they're dropping language that most of you don't drop. You know what? I've had more Jesus moments at FedEx than I've had in a long time where I'm standing with people that are far from God and I can have conversations with people and I can be Jesus. We serve a missionary God and He's calling His people out. I'm excited about 2020. We're, we're, we're trying to, to schedule another work and witness trip. And Todd, why don't you stand? You and Kendra stand and wave people. You are our team coordinators. 
You guys know Todd. We're going to Costa Rica in 2020. It's in your bulletin. And we, we, we received contact from the missionary. And our project, according to the missionary, will be the, 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 the project that completes the district center. And so we'll get to participate in a celebration service on that next Sunday. God is ascending God. I would invite you and encourage you, if you've never participated in an event like this, a work and witness trip, it'll, it'll do more for you than you do for them. Sign up. Get more information. If you sign up, you're not making any promise, but you can begin to get details and begin to pray whether this is something God has for you. You know you can go right here. You can be sent right here. And, and, and in two weeks, we'll be doing a va vacation Bible school. And if you participate in vacation Bible school, I believe you're joining the God who always sends, our missionary God. Am I passionate enough for you? He says, leave your country. Leave your relatives. Leave your father's family. Go to the land I will show you and I will make you a great nation and I will bless you. And he leaves these three sources of security with the ideal that God will replace. He leaves his country. Really, he left his country with his father. He leaves his property and he leaves his family. Because God is calling him to something unknown. The next verse is, is an awesome verse. So Abram departed as the Lord had instructed. <laughs> and Lot went with him. If you guys were an amen shouting church, you'd say amen there, right? <laughs> Abram was 75 years old when he left Haran. He took his wife Sarai, his, his nephew Lot, and all his wealth, his livestock, and all the people he had taken into his household at Haran, and he headed for the land of Canaan. So he left. To, to become a, a great nation, but, but there's a problem. Sarai was barren. Uh, pretty quickly, we see this attitude of self-preservation that's evident from the fall. There's a famine and, and they go to Egypt and he takes his 65-year-old wife who apparently is a real hot chick. Uh, all you ladies over 60 say amen, right? And he takes her to, to Egypt and he's afraid that because she's so good-looking that they're going to kill him and take his wife. All you teens are laughing. You're thinking, a 60-year-old woman, come on. But that's what happens. So he says, say you're my sister. And there's this attitude still with Abram of self-preservation. You know what I love about God? He uses people that screw up just like I do every once in a while. Right? In the story, he doesn't hide it. He doesn't mask it. This wasn't God's plan. And yet Abram, this great man of faith, when he gets to Egypt, goes, whoa, 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 whoa. Maybe I need to do something to protect myself. Egypt is, it finds out and, and, and Pharaoh finds out and, and 
and, and they, they, they send Abram and Sarai out. And then Abram separates from Lot. I've often wondered why he took Lot with him, if this was a safety net as well. But their herdsmen begin to collide and have conflict, and they separate. And now Abram is all alone. After Lot had gone, the Lord said to Abram, Look as far as you can see in every direction, north and south, east and west. I am giving you all this land as far as you can see to you and your descendants as a permanent possession. And I will give you so many descendants that like the dust of the earth, they cannot be counted. Go and walk through the land in every direction, for I'm giving it to you. So Abram moved his camp to Hebron, settled near the oak belonging to Mamre. There he built another altar to the Lord. Then later on, sometime later, that the Lord spoke to Abram in a vision and said, Do not be afraid, Abram, for I will protect you and your reward will be great. But Abram replied, O sovereign Lord, what good are all your blessings when I don't even have a son? Since you've given me no children, Eleazar of Damascus, a servant in my household, will inherit all my wealth. You've given me no descendants of my own, so one of my servants will be my heir. Then the Lord said to him, No, your servant will not be your heir, for you will have a son of your own who will be your heir. Then the Lord took Abram outside and said to him, Look up into the sky and count the stars if you can. That's how many descendants you'll have. And Abram believed the Lord, and the Lord counted him as righteous because of his faith. Abram's come to Canaan. And God's given him this vision to, to protect and bless. And, and he's saying, well, but God, how can this be? My, my servant's my heir. God says, look at the stars. As many stars as you see, that will be those who follow you, your descendants. And then this powerful statement that, that Paul seizes on in Romans Abram believed. The land will be yours. Abram is, is questioning, how can this be? I, I'm, I'm over 75. Sarai is over 65. Yet, yet somehow he believes. Not only will he inherit the land, but he'll have a son. Both of these promises are huge. See, see, how do you inherit land that lasts for generations if you don't have generations that follow? And yet God's saying you will have descendants and these descendants will possess this land. And then God does something interesting. He has Abram take a heifer and a goat and a dove and a ram and a pigeon. And, and the larger animals, he has them cut in two. He divides them in two, this, this sacrifice. And over through the night, vultures are coming and trying to eat the, 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 the sacrifices. And, and Abram chases them off. And then he goes into a deep sleep. And God says, your descendants will be oppressed for 400 years. And, and then they'll be released. And then there's this smoking pot and this flaming torch that goes through the midst of the sacrifice. 
signifying the very presence of God. And God is, by his own free will, participating in an ancient covenant practice. And in doing this, as God moves to the center of these sacrifices, he's saying, listen, if I don't keep my promise, may I be torn apart just like these sacrifices. God will keep his promises. Wherever you are in your life, can can we rest in the ideal that God will keep his promises? Ten years later. Ten years later. Sarai still has no son. I, I would imagine that the spiritual experience that Abram had that night had begun to fade, right? You ever had one of those moments where perhaps a spiritual experience you had had at an altar or in a service or in a Sunday school class seems like a long time ago? And Abram begins to wonder, was, was I supposed to do something else? Anybody ever been there? Anybody get up in the middle of the night and think, now why did I get up in the middle of the night, right? What, what am I supposed to be doing now? And so Sarai gives Abram Hagar. And Ishmael is born. And I know this is a shock. But, but even though Sarai has given Abram Hagar and Ishmael is born there's conflict in this home. Yeah, I know, that's unbelievable, isn't it? You'd think that would just be smooth selling from then on out. And Sarah begins to mistreat Hagar, and Hagar flees, and God intercedes. And she says, you are the God who sees me. She comes back. Thirteen years pass. Abram is now 99 years old. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am El Shaddai, God Almighty. Serve me faithfully and live a blameless life. I will make a covenant with you by which I will guarantee to give you countless descendants. At this, Abram fell down, fell face down on the ground. And then God said to him, this is my covenant with you. I will get, make you the father of a multitude of nations. What's more, I'm changing your name. It will no longer be Abram. Instead, you'll be called Abraham. For you will be the father of many nations. I will make you extremely fruitful. Your descendants will become many nations and kings will be among them. I will confirm my covenant with you and your descendants after you from generation to generation. This is the everlasting covenant. I will always be your God and the God of your descendants after you. I will give you the entire land of Canaan where you now live as a foreigner to you and your descendants. It will be their possession forever. And I will be their God. So God shows up again. I am El Shaddai. I am God Almighty. Serve me live a blameless life, and you will have a son. Of 
course, Sarah, Sarah is 90, and Sarah is 90, and Abraham is 99. Abram says, why don't you just use Ishmael? It'll be a lot easier for everybody involved. God says, no. Abraham and Sarah, you will have a son. See, this promise isn't just about Abraham. It's about Abraham and Sarah. And early on, we see the importance of community. It's not an Abraham promise. It's an Abraham and Sarah promise. The Lord appeared again to Abram near the oak tree belonging to Mamre. One day, Abram was sitting at the entrance of his tent during the hottest part of the day. He looked up and noticed three men standing by. When he saw them, he ran to meet them and welcomed them, bowing low to the ground. My Lord, he said, if it pleases you, stop here for a while. Rest in the shade of this tree while water is brought to wash your feet. And since you've honored your servant with this visit, let me prepare some food to refresh you before you continue on your journey. All right, they said, do as you have said. So Abraham ran back to the tent and said to Sarah, hurry, get three large measures of your best flour, knead it into dough and bake some bread. Then Abram ran out to the herd and, and chose a tender calf and gave it to his servant who quickly prepared it. I, I got to tell you, sometimes the Bible just cracks me up. How do you quickly prepare a calf? Okay, that's, that's all relative, right? When the food was ready, Abram took some yogurt and milk and roasted meat and he served it to the men. As they ate, Abraham waited on them in the shade of the trees. Where's Sarah, Sarah, your wife, the visitors asked. She's inside the tent, Abram replied. Abraham replied. Then one of them said, I will return to you about this time next year, and your wife Sarah will have a son. Sarah was listening to this conversation from the tent. Abraham and Sarah were both very old by this time, and Sarah was long past the age of having children. So she laughed silently to herself and said, How could a worn-out woman like me enjoy such pleasure, especially when my master, my husband, is also so old? Then the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh? Why did she say, Can an old woman like me have a baby? Is anything too hard for the Lord? I will return about this time next year, and Sarah will have a son. Sarah was afraid, so she denied it, saying, I didn't laugh, but the Lord said, No, you did laugh. And after this interchange, this exchange, God, God begins to talk to Abraham about Sodom and Gomorrah. And, and, and we have this whole story of Lot being protected. Later on it says, the Lord kept his word and did for Sarah exactly what he had promised. She became pregnant. And she gave birth to a son for Abraham in his old age. This happened at just the time God had said it would. And Abraham named his, their son, Isaac. After this, Sarah once again begins to mistreat Ishmael and Hagar, and, and, and she for, forces them out. And, and once again, they're in the wilderness, and God comes to Hagar and Ishmael. And this time she says, you are the God who hears me. You know, it's interesting this isn't the child of promise. Isaac is the child of promise. And maybe you don't feel like the child of promise today. Maybe you don't feel like the center of attention. 
but I want you to know whether you're the child of promise or not, God sees and God hears you. And God has a plan for you. Sometime later, God tested Abraham's faith. Abraham, God called. Yes, he replied, here I am. Take your son, your only son. Yes, Isaac, whom you love so much, and go to the land of Moriah. Go and sacrifice him as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I will show you. The next morning, Abraham got up early, saddled his donkey, and took two of his servants with him, along with his son Isaac. Then he chopped wood for a fire for a burnt offering and set out for the place God had told him about. See, see God had already tested Abraham. He had asked Abraham to, to give up his past to give up his family and his country and his possessions, and Abraham had complied. And now God is asking him to give up his future. On the third day of their journey, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. Stay here with the donkey, Abraham told the servants. The boy and I will travel a little further. We will worship there, and when we, then, then we will come right back. So Abraham placed the wood for the burnt offering on Isaac's shoulders while he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them walked on together, Isaac turned to Abraham and said, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied. We have the fire and the wood, the boy said. But where is the sheep for the burnt offering? God will provide a sheep for the burnt offering, my son, Abraham answered. And they were both walking on together when they arrived at the place where God had told him to go. Abraham built an altar and arranged the wood on it. Then he tied his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on the top of the wood. And Abraham picked up the knife to kill his son as a sacrifice. Once again, this is not just about the faith of Abraham. How much wood do you think it would take to consume a body? And yet we have Isaac carrying the wood. This word boy or lad that's used here is not a small child. And some theologians even suggest that Isaac may have been a young man of nearly 30 years old. A young man that probably, if he wanted to, could have overpowered Abraham. And yet he complies. See, this isn't about the faith of just Abraham. It's about the faith of Abraham and Isaac. It's why this is an image of God the Father and God the Son. That, that, that Abraham, God the Father, was willing to sacrifice his son and, and the son was willing to follow just like Jesus was willing to submit. See, Abraham didn't just go to Canaan by himself. They took a family. And this child of promise was not just about Abraham, but it was about Abraham and Sarah. And it was not just Abraham on Mount Moriah, but it was Abraham and Isaac. 
faith is lived out in community. We live it together. At that moment, the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. Yes, Abraham replied, here I am. Don't lay a hand on the boy, the angel said. Do not hurt him in any way, for I now know that you truly fear God. You've not withheld from me even your son, your only son. Then Abraham looked up and saw a ram caught by its horns in a thicket. And Isaac said, praise the Lord. That's not in there. I kind of imagine that. So he took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering in the place of his son. Abraham named the place Yahweh Yari, which means the Lord will provide. But by the way, this is kind of a side note. Some people believe that this same mount becomes Golgotha. That, 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 that this place that Isaac was almost sacrificed becomes the place where Jesus is sacrificed. To this day, people still use that name as a proverb. On the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. Then the angel of the Lord again called Abraham from heaven. This is what the Lord says. Because you've obeyed me and have not withheld even your son, your only son, I swear by my own name, that I will certainly bless you. I will multiply your descendants beyond number like the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will conquer the cities of their enemies and through your descendants all the nations of the earth will be blessed all because you obeyed me. You know, in in this story, we, we find a God who both tests and provides. He puts tests in Abraham's life, and yet he provides solutions to these tests. The, the, the truth of it is, all of us have tests in our lives. So, some are bitter, and they only see the test, but not the provision. So, some are complacent. They, they want the provision, but they don't want the testing. Some are cynical. And they don't want the test, and they don't see the provision. Abraham believes and embraces both. He accepts the test, and he celebrates the provision. And this embracing of both the test and the provision is the substance of his faith. If we're going to follow Abraham today, we have to be people who embrace both. God can be trusted. The the God who provides tests and the God who tests provides. And God can be trusted wherever you find yourself in the story. How do we get from catastrophe to recreation? It begins with the God who sees and hears and provides. It begins with the God who is faithful. How do you get from catastrophe and chaos in your life? It begins with God. For I'm confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. (laughs) That was a good time to say amen. You know, as I thought about this story, I thought about the journey of Abraham. And I have a map that kind of shows that journey. You know this from, from Ur of the Chaldeans to Canaan. And, and, and as I consider this 
passage from Acts 7, which I got to tell you, I had, I'd never noticed it until I was going through Acts um, just this month, this ideal of God calling while he was in Canaan. And when I saw that, I, I did what I always do when I don't have answers. I sent an email to Nelson to, to see if Dr. Purdue could help me here understand why Genesis 12 really doesn't talk about that call, but Stephen knows about that call. I looked through commentaries. I sent a text to Bob Flint, and I had conversations. And, and really, most commentaries, commentaries just kind of pass right over this idea of what Stephen's saying compared to what Genesis says. But the Beacon Bible commentary suggests that Haran and the call there represented a confirmation. That, that, that somehow God had called Abram, who becomes Abraham, way back in Ur of the Chaldeans. And so he moves with his dad. And, and I got to tell you, that's some father that will support the call of a son and leave everything. You guys have had some fathers in your faith that have left things behind to further your faith, right? I have. I've had people who have blessed me by doing what's uncomfortable because they know that God is calling me somewhere else. But whatever, Abraham consistently did whatever God asked. In Genesis 12, it says, So Abram departed as the Lord had instructed. When he's called to sacrifice Isaac, the next morning Abram got, Abraham got up early and set out for the place God had told him about. In other words, Abraham was always willing to go where God called. God was faithful and, 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 this, and the central theme in this story is the faithfulness of God. But Abraham continued to take the next right step. God's faithfulness without Abram's willingness to take the next right step would have meant very little. But Abram was willing to partner with God in his plan. Can we go back to kind of the purpose of creation? The purpose of creation is love and relationship. I would say the purpose of creation goes back to this ideal of partnership, that the ideal that what God is trying to do in creation is not simply just create, but to create a partnership between humanity and Him. Where God goes... We go. And as God leads, we follow. See, we have a part. You have a part. I have a part. We have a part in this place. We have a part in our neighborhoods. We have a part, a place in our workplace, 
By the way, there's a sermon coming. Since I've been in the workplace, what I've discovered is most people have a pooey attitude at work. And a lot of these people are believers. I got to tell you, there is no place for bad attitudes at work. I believe believers work with a different attitude. I do. I believe that God has placed you. He's placed me in that workplace. And if I come across as bitter and angry and just hating to be there, I'm missing the opportunity to be a joyful Christian just celebrating that God's given me another day where I am. Guess I don't have to preach it now. I just did. What's your next right step? God is faithful. What is your next right faith? See, see, Tara took Abraham to Haran. But Abraham had to move on. We cannot live off someone else's faith. At some point, it has to, it has to be ours. Teenagers? You can't live off mom and dad's faith. At some point, this faith becomes your own. And you live it. And parents, this is a little bit uncomfortable, right? Because oftentimes, many times, the faith of our kids may look a little bit different than our faith. Amen? And that's okay. Find your faith and live it. Kids, you... Kids in here, you have a faith. You have a place. God's calling not just your mom and dad to partnership, but He's calling you to partnership. What is your next right step? Now, I I think it's kind of appropriate. We have an all-in update. And and I believe this is consistent with what I've preached, that there is a next step for us all. And so I'm going to invite... uh, Brian and Ryan, <laughs> yeah, yeah, we like to just rhyme everything. Brian and Ryan uh, to come up. Well, Brian's so offended he's leaving. And oh, okay, we're gonna play a video first.